closing chance, this is the moment you've waited for. I am not a stranger to the dark. You're still just the Taylor's boy. Better luck with your next job. Those people will never accept us. This isn't the life I promised you. Not even close. But I have everything I want. together a show it's a place where people can see things they've never seen before <laughs> okay who's that and what is your act i don't have an act everyone's got an act people aren't gonna like it if you put us on stage oh i'm counting on it well, i believe those are the words of a scoundrel a showman whistling just a showman don't listen to them they don't understand yet. But they will. So tell me, do you want to go? Where it's covered in all the colored lights. Where the runaways are running the night. Impossible comes through. It's taking over you. Does it bother you that everything you're selling is fake? Do these smiles seem fake? We have more protesters every day. You're risking everything you've built. Well, how do you think I built it? The world is ashamed of us. But you put us in the spotlight. You gave us a real family. Have you no shame? Father, the world is changing. Never made a difference by being like everyone else. So, uh, good morning. Thank you, lady and team, for uh, doing the popcorn. That's great. Uh, I, I must admit, I, I stand here almost like one of those petulant children because. Um, you know, that fine costume that um, Hugh Jackman wears as P.T. Barnum, I'd ordered one. And I was told that it would get here in a three-day time frame. And when I checked yesterday, it was still in Dubai. So um, <laughs> I said to Andy, I'm not doing it then. Um, particularly because I know the costumes that he and David have got lined up for the next couple of weeks, right? <laughs> but, um, but Peter, knowing that it was almost going to be off, I asked Peter, and, and he brought me in a waistcoat, so we're going to go some way there. But I'm afraid, without the red tails and top hat, there is no singing and dancing going to happen today, uh, as I had intended. But uh, I don't know how many of you had seen the movie this week or have seen it before. Uh, well done. And uh, some of you are going to love it. Some of you, it's not your thing. Um, but it's, uh, I, I don't know, any, I, I've watched it a few times with my kids, um, with Alessandra. There's something about this movie, it's uh, a bit of fantasy, it's, uh, there's a little bit of escapism, um, it's, it, it draws you in, it challenges you to kind of like things that you think, I don't know if I should like this, do I support this, what do I, what do I feel about it? I, I don't know, I mean, the, the whole thing about dressing up this morning, I think as a kid, um, I would watch a movie 
or something on the TV, and then afterwards I would go away into the cupboard um, that we had under the stairs and would root around and pull out all these different costumes and then would spend the afternoon marching around if I was a soldier or beaming across the room if I was a, a spaceman. So there is still a little bit of that going on this morning. Um, but, but, you know, we, we sort of dress up and we want to put on the costumes of uh, either the hero or the villain in the movie, or at least that's always been a part of it, that, that play acting. And, uh, but I think there's also something about, you know, there are the things that we're willing to put on ourselves, and then there are the things that other people put on us, the costumes that others would put on us, uh, maybe through their words and through their attitudes. I know that for many years, um, you know, growing up before coming to faith in Jesus, uh, you know, life was lived a certain way. And I thought, well, this really is who I am. This is, this is me. And then when my brother uh, came to faith, uh, we had many a conversation which he shared his new uh, found sense of purpose and direction and meaning from coming to faith in Jesus. And I said, that's great for you, Drew, but my life is like this. This is who I am. This is me. Until I came to a point in which I, too, stood in the back of a church and said, oh, no, this is real. Jesus, you are real. You are here. I know that this is true. I know that I need you. Please take me. Receive me. Would you come into my life? And, you know, from that moment, from the moment that I made that prayer, everything changed. And all the things that I had put on and all the things that I carried and the costume that I wore actually the Lord removed and told me, no, no, this is not you. You're not defined by what you do or what you've lived or what you've done. But I will tell you who you are. And you're my child because I love you. And in Jesus, you are my son. So the film that we uh, are looking at this morning is The Greatest Showman. And it's this creative retelling of the story or the rise of uh, Phineas Barnum. He was a 19th century American showman. He was a politician. Uh, he was a philanthropist. He was also an author and a publisher. Now, there are, obviously, this is a, a feel-good movie. There are, there are parts of the truth which are a lot darker that, that the movie doesn't portray. We, we don't critique necessarily, or not this morning, the pursuit of wealth. Uh, at the cost of exploitation of others. Um, we, we would need to look at the, what comes across in the film even as this uh, expressive individualism, um, the goal of life to discover, and, and you know, what is my goal and purpose in life? It's discover my true self. Well, I don't think we see it in those terms. The, we don't see in the film really the full extent of the racial prejudice um, that would have been true of the day. Uh, nor do we live our lives to the beat of our own drum. One of the lyrics in the songs that we're going to hear in a minute uh, is triumphant, defiant. Um, but we know that we don't beat the drum. Um, things that we know about other... I, I even heard last night, and I checked it up to check the, the, uh, the veracity of this, but um, there's a connection between Barnum and uh, Dwight Moody, the evangelist. That apparently, when the, when the circus didn't open on Sundays... Um, they gave their space, the New York Great Hippodrome, to Moody, who hosted there these great evangelistic campaigns. And when Barnum went off traveling around America, um, together with the support from J.P. Morgan, Cornelius uh, Vanderbilt, 
um, Moody transformed the Hippodrome into, this, into what was known as the Revival Tabernacle, in which 25,000 people would come um, to hear about Jesus. And when the, the Greatest Showman was opened uh, in the theaters, the first week of box office takings actually weren't what was quite expected, but the second week it did what was unique amongst many films in that it, it hit a high. Uh, and it beat the first week's takings. Why was that? Why did it have such appeal? People watched it, went back, they wanted to see it again, they brought their friends back to see it. Um, what was it that was so appealing about this movie? Is it because it was some way uh, underlining the great American dream? If you dream it, it's possible, anyone can do this. Is it about overcoming? Is it for its celebration of humanity? Or the, well, there's, there's some um, charming moments to the warmth of a father's love for his family. Oh, songs are catchy. Uh, it is a story of overcoming. It does describe and show the rise of the underdog against the elite. But it is a movie in which I found myself and find myself wearing different costumes throughout. I want us to look at, uh, in this first scene, um, this is a, a moment just after Jenny, Lean, uh, Jenny Lind uh, had uh, performed uh, her uh, operatic performance, and there was this wonderful celebration, after-show celebration with the elite, and then the cast of Barnum's show are outside waiting to come in and join the party. Uh, let's just see what happens. No, 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 Letty. What? It's very crowded in here, okay? And I can't have you mingling. Guys, who's going to pay admission if you're out there for all the world to see? Okay, have a great show. Wait.
gonna send a bug, gonna drown a mouth. This is brave, this is bruised, this is who I'm meant to be, this is me. Look out, cause here I come. was half expecting you to be getting up and <laughs> so there's a moment that we see of Barnum's own weakness and his own brokenness and I'm going to speak about that a bit later on but but there is something through this film that we see what is a as a care for those uh, that work with him and what he creates is a place for the broken and the bruised and and we see that throughout the film it is a picture of brokenness uh, and bruises that life uh, inflicts on all of us. And we think, of course, we think of the performers in that way. But actually, everyone in this movie displays their own brokenness. As Anne Wheeler, uh, the, the trapeze artist, uh, spoke, everyone has an act, Mr. Carlyle. Everyone has an act. Jenny Lind, who was the uh, opera singer accepted by the elites herself, said, Life always manages to remind me that I'll never have a place in this world. And that leaves a hole that no ovation can fill. Letty Lutz, the, uh, the lady who was leading that, uh, that song there, uh, said, Our own mothers were ashamed of us. They hid us our whole lives. Then you, referring to Barnum, pulled us out of the shadows. You gave us a real family. He created, and his desire was to create a place for people to belong, a community of broken people. Well, that sounds like a good place for me, too. You see, all of us are made for a relationship with God, and until that relationship is restored, we also will find we have a hole that no ovation will fill. With anything that we try to do, with whatever we strive after, we find that it will never be enough. Until we are restored to our Father through Jesus. And so it is that many people live with pain uh, and shame and rejection. The song starts out, I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. Reminded in Proverbs about the harshness and the power of the tongue. The soothing tongue is a tree of life. But a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. It's easy for us to believe the words that are spoken over us. It's easy to believe that, that we are worthless. It's easy to feel humiliated, that, that we may never amount to anything, that we'll never be quite good enough. Some of us have... Words and phrases may be going through our minds now that have been spoken to us, and that still hurt us even now. Words that may have been spoken to us in childhood, but come back and haunt us. But you see, the good news is that in Christ's family, a community of broken people, there are no freaks, there are no mistakes, there are no oddities. And through Jesus, this is a place for all of us. He invites all of us to the table. 
In Galatians 3, we're reminded that we are all equal. There is no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female, rich and poor. God doesn't look upon us uh, in these ways. But he looks upon us through Jesus as his children. When I said that there are lots of different costumes that I found myself putting on through this movie and asking, well, this is, this is me, or this is me. I, I wonder too, and I was caught almost by the way of those that hold the angry placards and wave them, you're not welcome here. You're a mistake, a freak, an oddity. Could this also be me? You see, Barnum closed the door on his performers, and I wonder at times how we might, through our attitudes or through our actions, close the doors on those that we think are oddities, that we would be ashamed of, to, we'd be ashamed to be associated with, people that we would consider unworthy. And yet the Lord calls by name and invites to his table. I pray the Spirit would examine our hearts and and our tendency to judge or to step away rather than to step towards those who are different from us. To love, to speak words of compassion and of welcome, to understand rather than to reject. That word of rejection, that theme of rejection, of abandonment, and then welcoming is, is a constant theme that runs through this film of a community that longs to belong. In Psalm 27, we're reminded that though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And this is me. As one broken and bruised, but invited to the table of the Lord, invited to be a part of his family through Jesus. So how is it that we can, we can say this of us, this is me as a child of God. How is it that we're welcomed into God's family? Well, it's as simple as A, B, C, in a sense, if we accept that we are sinners. We accept our need for Jesus. We, have to, we begin by accepting that Jesus has done for us what we cannot and could never do for ourselves. We are powerless to escape from the life of slavery uh, by our own merits. We have to believe that Jesus is God's son and that he died to pay the debts, to cancel our debts, uh, that we confess that the Son became a slave so that we who are slaves might become free and might become children of God. Accept, believe, and commit to following Jesus for the rest of our lives. To live our lives as children of God, resisting all forms of slavery um, until the day that we die. This text in Romans that Andrea read for us. Paul reminds us that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and have received the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What does it mean, this adoption to sonship? And why is it so important? Well, in, in adoption, it would have been a customary uh, legal procedure in Roman society. 
And, and for example, you may have been a, a wealthy Roman household, but unable to have children of your own. And so maybe you had slaves who had children of their own, and you would say, well, let me buy your son, that he might become my son. And there's this transaction. Three times they would have gone before the magistrate, and the son would have been presented and handed over. And so it comes from a place of slavery into a place of freedom. And in adoption, the, the old debts were immediately of that son, of his father, of his family, were immediately paid. The child, in being transferred over under the, uh, into this new household, into the, the new father, would have received the father's name and would instantly become heir to the father's estate. And the new father instantly became liable for the son's actions, his debts and his crimes. The new son also would have had an obligation to honor his new father through his life. And we, we sang a song about Be Thou My Vision, and there's a, there's a subtle word change because we, we, I'm your true child, and, and then you think, well, that doesn't rhyme with, rhyme with, what's the last line, David? It doesn't. Yeah, that's the one. I can't find it. But... Okay, because, because we want to say, but, this is, but, but what about me? I'm not, a, I'm not a guy, so how do, when we talk about sonship, how does that relate to me? In this text, Paul could easily have used a, a gender-neutral term. And he uses children and sons uh, in this passage. But if we're, if we're too quick to remove this adoption to sonship, actually we remove the significance and the weight of everything that Paul is trying to say to us. Because it was the sons then, who had the status and the privilege and the power. They would have had the largest share of the father's inheritance, the, the son, the firstborn. And what Paul's point is that now, that status, that privilege, that, that inheritance is for all of us, for all of us. And so adoption to sonship for all of us Man and woman, slave and free, rich and poor, is saying all of that entitlement, all of that privilege, all of that is for, for you, irrespective. And Paul outlines in Romans 8 what those privileges are. Of when we're adopted into the, into the family, that now we have security, no longer fear. As the son, we're no longer fearful of being the, the employee that the father could, could fire at any time. We have the authority of the father. Slaves have none in their home. We, in this sense, have authority over sin and the devil. We can live life with confidence. As a son, we have intimacy with the father by which we cry, Abba, and assurance that we are his children. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And by the Spirit, there is this inner witness of the heart, Paul says. And we know that through the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit being worked out in our lives. But there's also something in the depths of our hearts, a knowing and a belonging that we are his. Those times when we experience the, the Holy Spirit drawing alongside us, the power and the presence and the love of God. And as sons, we have an inheritance. Paul says if we're children, we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. This is a, we know that we have an incredible future that awaits us. 
As I said, the first son would have received the largest portion of the father's estate. But the amazing truth and the good news of the gospel is that we will all feel like we are receiving the lion's share. Or most of the glory of God. We know too that sons can expect to be disciplined by their fathers. Children are disciplined by their, by their, by their parents. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glorious. We are glorious in Christ. And as a good father disciplines his children for their good, so God the Father disciplines his children. By his spirit, we become more like him. We take on a family likeness. We are adopted, but God implants Christ's nature in us. And through the inworking of the spirit, he changes our our character, our attitudes, our nature is transformed, and we become like Jesus. Who am I? I am a child of God. This is me. There's something interesting in the movie, if you've, if you've watched it or if you go back to see it, and you, you may notice there are those scenes when there is this you know, a performer has performed and the crowd are there and there's this spontaneous explosion of applause and people are on their feet clapping. And you see Barnum just standing there, but for him, there's silence. This muted applause. And, and later on, he's asked even by his wife, when, when will it ever be enough for you? You see, Barnum lives his life seeking the acceptance from others. He, he actually measures the success by what other people are saying about him. He wants to be considered good enough, to be considered worthy, to finally be welcomed into the, the elite society which he has never been a part. In one of the final scenes when he seems to have lost everything, it's actually when he finds everything. The lyrics of the song from now on start, I drank champagne with kings and queens. The politicians praise my name. But those are someone else's dreams, the pitfalls of the man I became. For years and years, I chased their cheers, the crazy speed of always needing more. But when I stop and see you here, I remember who all this was for. Who are we living for? Could this be me? Do I, have we started out in this walk, in this life with God, only to fall aside and and, and fail to believe what Jesus has done for us, that it is enough? Have we muted out the Father's applause and his delight over us because we've taken on the words and the attitudes of others? Zephaniah 3:17. we read, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Do we know the Father's delight over us? Do we hear him singing over us? Again, from Romans 8, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. So there are two spirits. One is the spirit of slavery, and one is the spirit of uh, freedom of, of adoption as, as sons. 
Jesus says in John 8, the Son sets you free and you will be free indeed. And yet, I think there are so many of us that at times we revert back to living as slaves. Like the prodigal son who returns home feeling unworthy to receive his father's affections. How often do we then allow this spirit of slavery to creep in, to prevent us from receiving the father's love and his acceptance? That we see somehow God as this taskmaster who might fire us at any moment. Now, this is not merely psychological. It's actually quite satanic. You see, this is a common tactic of the enemy to lead God's people back to a performance-based Christianity. This was what Paul was addressing in his letters to the church, uh, to the Galatians. That they had abandoned, they set off so well, but they are now abandoning the gospel of grace for a different gospel based upon the law. And how can this be good news? If it's trying to follow this and and that, that it's that that somehow makes us right with God, anything apart from the work of Jesus on the cross, we're at it. This was the Galatian heresy. It's, it's alive and well, I think, in the church today that we may preach justification by faith, but we live as if we're a justification by busyness. But Paul says through baptism, we are, we're dressed, we put on a different costume in an adult faith wardrobe. That wardrobe is Christ's life. So let's look at Christ's life because it represents this loving cycle of grace. Jesus' life starts from a place of acceptance. If we read in Mark 1, uh, verses 10 to 11, when Jesus is uh, being baptized by John, it says, Just as he was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, my love, and with you I am well pleased. Words of affirmation and love and acceptance to Jesus before he'd started his ministry. He hadn't done anything. But the Father declares his love for him as he does to us. With you, I am well pleased. And Jesus is sustained throughout his love by the Father's acceptance, knowing that he is loved for who he is, not for what he does. And, And the Lord reaffirms this. Several times, remember the moment when Jesus goes up onto the mount with Peter, James, and John. We read in Mark 9, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. This is my son who I love. I love you. It's from this place of acceptance and foundation of the Father's love for him that he finds a significance, that we too find significance and meaning. Jesus' self-worth was wholly tied up with the value placed upon him by his heavenly Father. His identity was not based on his performance, but his position as God's son. Jesus knew that. He didn't strive for achievement to receive that. He said in John 5, that the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, Testify that the Father has sent me. Let's just do the Father's will. To live as children of God, we too are invited to live in this circle or this cycle of grace. 
and a place of acceptance, knowing that we are, we can have confidence that we are justified before the Lord by faith in Jesus. We're sustained by being renewed, being filled by the Spirit and growing, transformed into his likeness. But our significance comes from our position before God, not our performance. And our, anything that we achieve, well, our, our motivation is, is really out of gratitude to the Father. But see, if we live in doubt of our position before God, we become slaves again to fear. And you read in 1 John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I read a story of um, a bishop who was uh, retiring and uh, as, he, as he was retiring after many years of ministry, um, people, they had commissioned a, a, a modern artist um, to paint him, to paint a portrait. And so there were several sittings, and as the sittings happened, so the picture began uh, to take shape. The portrait uh, took form. And then when the day of the unveiling came, the bishop was there and all the dignitaries and everybody there to celebrate this great moment. And as they pulled off and unveiled um, the portrait, there was this gasp of horror. What they saw on this canvas was this ghastly demonstration of meaninglessness, of abstract art. Most of the picture contained sort of extravagant colors and jumbled mathematical uh, shapes. And in the middle, barely visible, was the rough outline of a person's face. And the bishop was asked what he thought of the painting, and without a moment's hesitation, he replied, using the words of Matthew 14, 27, Take heart, be not afraid, it is I. See, Barnum, his cast, and the others had built their sense of identity on the way that others saw them, on what they did, of what people thought of what they did makes me think today how vulnerable we are when social media has such a place of dominance in our lives. With likes and followers that we seek after, that somehow it, it, it gives us a sense of identity of, and confidence in who we are. But you see, if we're going to build our life on that, then we need to be wary because there are always plenty of critics out there. And few of us are given an exclusively positive portrait of our personalities and achievements. So it's precarious for us to, to base our identity on the opinions of others, or even, even how we feel about ourselves. It's not what makes us who we are. But if we live our lives like that, seeking constantly the affirmation of others, the acceptance from others, we'll find that we live with low self-esteem and, and a negative self-image when those comments come. Here's another quote. I wish I had a coat of silk, the colors of the sky. I wish I had a lady fair as any butterfly. I wish I had a house of stone that looked upon the sea. But most of all, I wish that I was someone else but me. Gonzo from the Muppets. But is this me? Like, is this also me? 
We heard in that trailer, everyone has an act. And we can all become showmen. And performers. But it's not the greatest way. To build our life on anything other than Jesus. We sang it this morning. And his love is the sure foundation. It's the only foundation on which we can build. How then do we live true to the identity that is ours in Christ Jesus? How do we, how do we drown out the sharpest words that want to cut us down? How do we defend ourselves against the bullets that hit our skin? Well, above the placards, the critics' reviews, and the stuff we do, it's the Holy Spirit who confirms that we are accepted and loved as God's children. And God's word also plays its part. You see, in Jesus' baptism, as we mentioned earlier, the voice that was heard from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. These are the words from the language of, uh, of Scripture. You are my son, occurs we see in Psalm 2. The rest of what we read or what we hear there is from Isaiah 42. See, the Father's acceptance of the Son is, is communicated by the Word and the Spirit. What is true for Jesus is also true for us. And our adoption as children and heirs is affirmed through the inner testimony of the Spirit, but also through the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word give us the firm foundation of our acceptance by God. We need both of them. You see, it's never really about how we define ourselves. The question is not, who am I? Who do I think I am? We want to say, no, this is who I am or this is me. Actually, the question is not what, what other people say of me, what I think of me. The greatest question that all of us have to answer, and set this as a course if you haven't yet answered this question, is what does God think of me? Who does he say I am? So when the sharpest words want to cut us down, when another round of bullets hits our skin, and when, temp when Satan tempts us to let the shame sink in, that we would hide away in the shadows, my prayer is that we would respond by reasserting these truths about our new self. When we ask, who am I? Is this me? Lord, who do you say that I am? And these are the truths. We read in John that I've been given a right to be a child of God. I am a child of God. I am no longer a slave, but a friend of Christ. I've been bought for adoption through Christ's blood. I was predestined for adoption. I'm a child of Abba. I am God's work of art. I am no longer under any condemnation. I cannot be separated from the Father's love. I am loved by the Father himself. I have been redeemed and forgiven. I am a citizen of heaven. I have not been given a spirit of fear. I am no longer a slave, but a son. I am seated with a son in heaven. I am the same family as Jesus. I am a brother of the Lord Jesus. I can approach the Father with confidence. I am a brand new person in Christ Jesus. And if we're going to use the words from this song, this is brave, this is proof, this is who we're meant to be. And together, we should all say, this is me. <laughs>